Hello and welcome on The Barricades. My name is Bojan Stanislavski and I am your host. And uh, today, as usual, we've got the co-host of the program with me, Maria Chernat. Hello, Maria. Hello. And we've got a special guest, but before I actually tell him, tell you who he, whom he, who he is, I want to give you a bit of a context um, regarding why we are actually having this person. So in mid-January, we witnessed a series of events that were, to uh, put it mildly, well, I would say bizarre or slightly bizarre from a diplomatic standpoint. The meetings in Geneva between the Russian and the American delegations, the meetings between the Russian delegation and NATO, the OSCE meeting in Vienna, and uh, now some kind of uh, phone calls, talks back and forth between the American Secretary of State and the Russian foreign minister. Meanwhile, the public uh, was fed yet another escalation of this truly unhinged, let's say, narrative that Russia is just about to invade Ukraine apparently for no reason. Uh, the Western narrative, as well as the reactions of the Western public and the elites of various NATO and EU member countries are becoming increasingly contradictory, which I find particularly interesting <clears throat> in this context. France and Germany's leaders appear to be, well, rather irritated by the growing threat of a military conflict and the prospect of new round of sanctions against the Russian Federation. Also, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is at stake in this dispute. However, uh, the paradigm-shifting shock was delivered to uh, global um, public opinions, I would say, back in December, when the Russian government proposed draft treaties that would prevent further NATO expansion to the east and other legally binding security guarantees, quote-unquote, as the Russians refer to them. The global situation in terms of international relations shifted dramatically at that point, and uh, something resembling a reverse Caribbean crisis uh, occurred. Of course, the explanation in the West, as well as uh, in the mainstream media in Eastern Europe, rather rebellion ones, is simple. It's all because of Russia. So today we'll take a look at how things are looking from the Russian perspective. It is, uh, of course, not so much about what the government of Russia thinks about it, but about the public debate, what the public thinks. What is the Russian public's perception of what is going on and what are the dominant reactions? What new diplomatic moves could be expected and uh, what options are currently on the public record and uh, are being discussed in Russia? Is there actual concern about sanctions? So we'll talk about this and more with our special guest. Uh, he is a political scientist from Russia. He graduated from Moscow State University and went on to earn a PhD in, interna uh, in international researcher database he is frequently described as a scholar deconstructing nationalism and populism. He is the author of several books and reports on current Russian-Ukrainian and European politics, including neo-Nazis and the Euromaidan. He is also a member of the elections monitoring NGO, CISEMO, as well as a member of public diplomacy organization. He appears frequently as a guest and commentator in Russian media outlets. Welcome to the show, Stanislav Bishok. He's good enough to join us. Hi. Hi there. It's great to be with you again. Right. Thanks a lot. And uh, let me uh, let me come up uh, here with the first question. Be before you know, uh, uh, we get your overall assessment of the current situation. Uh, let's let's focus for a while on the most recent developments, uh, namely the meeting between Blinken and Lavrov, which I mentioned uh, briefly in my introduction. 
as well as the the, the kind of request uh, to 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 delay uh, the written responses that the Russians demanded from the Americans vis-a-vis their uh, their draft treaties, uh, treaty proposals. So uh, uh, it's a little confusing. I mean, the whole week, uh, the week before when all those meetings took place was confusing, but this is particularly confusing ending. Like, w- what is it all about, really? Uh, do you do you anticipate that the Americans could perhaps come up with anything new in this in this context? Well, uh, I expect them to come up with anything old, uh, uh, because at the end of the day, I mean, uh, first of all, why Russia wants this written answer? Because one of the main pillars of anti-Western narrative of the last, let's say, thirty years in Russia is that the West betrayed uh, the Soviet Union, uh, betrayed Gorbachev, because Gorbachev was given uh, guarantees, but just in speech, not uh, not written guarantees, that NATO will not expand uh, after the unification of Germany, right? But not that, one inch, that was the not phrase, one not inch. one inch. Right. And yeah. so that's, I mean, in the 1990s, uh, it was uh, just very popular among, let's say, uh, patriotic fringe of the uh, Russian media and of the Russian like public speakers. But uh, just starting from, let's say, mid-2000s, this narrative uh, gained uh, more prominence in, in official statements uh, uh, by President Putin and others. So in this case, this, this idea that uh, all our agreements should be written on paper, I mean, it, 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 it comes from, from that trauma so to speak, uh, from this Gorbachev-related trauma. Uh, as for the current uh, meeting between Lavrov and Blinken, well, uh, let's say I'm cautiously optimistic because given the mm-hmm. dire uh, uh, situation we're in, uh, in in our relations between Russia and the United States, I mean, everything short of uh, abruptly leaving meeting uh, with banging on doors, etc. I mean, everything short of that is a, is a, is a good thing and is a sign that uh, two sides, at least, they uh, they sort of uh, agree to even agree to disagree. And in this case, I mean, generally speaking, despite the fact that the Russian officials said that uh, they have come to no conclusions. Uh, well, that, that's exactly. Please uh, let me just interrupt you here because uh, that's that's precisely the point here. I feel uh, for the Russians. I mean, except for everything you explained about those draft treaties, of course, that it's 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 a matter of having something written down and signed in order to be able to refer to that later on instead of just some talks somewhere. Was it in Reykjavik? I think that Baker gave that promise about no, n- not an inch to the east. Anyway, but but. It's not the first time that the, uh, the Americans are offering the Russians to talk about something. And the Russians have had enough of this, I feel, over the last two years, at least, when they were saying, that's my impression, at least, please push back against it if you feel that uh, this impression is not correct or superficial. But my impression was that the Russians are saying, okay, but what are we going to talk about? Like this is, what's the substance going to be of those discussions? So now the Russians are clearly coming up with some substance for to, to discuss. And... Uh, yeah, like, do you think, do you feel this interpretation is correct? Well, uh, I think it is uh, quite correct. But generally speaking, I mean, you see, I mean, diplomats, they talk. They talk yeah. uh, during war, during wars, and during uh, times of peace, they always talk. I mean, it's their profession, okay? And it's better to have long talks, stupid talks, 
talks without any substance, talks without any results, than to have uh, a hot war, right? Or or no, oh, that's 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 okay. Of so in, in this <laughs> no case, I mean, I'm, I'm just uh, we just should not ex expect too much from this uh, round of negotiations. I mean, if if we uh, like if we approach these negotiations from this, let's say very low uh, low low expectations point i mean if we approach with these low expectations i mean we are uh, let's say we're getting more optimistic because nobody, nobody okay I, I i get it I, I don't have high expectations really I, I i haven't had high expectations of the talks that occurred last week uh, yet you know i was hoping that there are actually going to be some talks which are going to be at least to some extent substantial because what we've witnessed and that's why i said in my introduction it was a bit bizarre is that you know the russians came forward with those treaties and were asking uh for you know feedback what does the american side think about it and so on and so forth and same about NATO and, uh, but in fact, the Americans they seem to be actually banging their, uh, ha you know, their fist on the table, going like, "Oh, move away your, you know, army from the Ukrainian border. Do this, do that." Or, uh, you know, they asked for some reciprocity, you know, in in vis-a-vis <laughs> -vis, uh, the kind of treaties that Russia was offering. And I'm wondering what kind of reciprocity, like Russia seems to be put, basically. Uh, you know, in a situation where it cannot make any further concessions, why I mean, the, not? The next, the next concession would be would be something like I don't know, giving up or or or, or something. Yes, of course. So, there, there yeah, are like yeah, of course they could just yeah maybe surrender to the West or something. But yeah. I, I'm wondering what, what there are, you know. There is always the possibility, you know. Yeah. So. Uh, it, it, I, I haven't had much of an much of of a hope that things are going to be great and that that some great conclusions are going to come up. But I had higher hopes than what actually what actually happened. And uh, you know, the the result was also this this rejection from the side of the Americans made another idea being floated, which is uh, that there could be military installations, perhaps military bases or military equipment, Russian one, sent to countries like Venezuela, Bolivia, or Cuba, which clearly irritated the Americans very much. And, you know, is this something really actively discussed in Russia? And of course, in the government and, and I don't know, in the media, in the public space in general? Well, uh, it's not uh, uh, it's not really discussed. I mean, uh, and if it is discussed, it's discussed like a, like an anecdote or something like this. Oh, we can we can uh, uh, like uh, send our uh, send our military equipment to uh, Cuba again so as to uh, relieve this uh, like uh, uh, Cuban Missile Crisis because they will uh, fear us then. But it, it, it's it's it, it, it goes like a joke, not like a, mm -hmm. a real strategy. But generally speaking, I mean. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, the Russians and the Americans uh, talk past each other uh, in relation to the security issues, the European security issue, is that when the Westerners and when the Russians speak about European security, they mean different geographies. Mm -hmm. When the Europeans, generally speaking, uh, speaking about uh, European security, it's generally European security against Russia. Okay, so it's NATO plus, NATO plus certain countries which are not member states, but which are aspiring like Ukraine, for example. So to, to secure this entity from Russia, from Russian aggression, because let's be, let's be frank, nobody is afraid of Iran, 
uh, attacking somebody, I mean, some, some European country or invading uh, it, or I don't know, uh, Libya. Uh, when Russians speak about European security, they mean the security of Europe plus Russia, not against Russia. So it's a Eurasian security against, let's say, against international terrorism or against cyber threats or against, I don't know, pandemics, for example. That, that's the problem. So uh, in, in this case, I mean, Ukraine, of course, is uh, uh, if, if you speak uh, about European security against Russia, of course, uh, Ukraine should be protected uh, against against Russia because because Russia is, is threatening. So they say it's threatening Ukraine. But if if we speak about like uh, global uh, Eurasian security, in this case, I mean Russia, uh, Ukraine could could be like like part of this project. Okay. So and and uh, when we speak about like uh, these uh, hybrid hybrid forms of warfare, like sending uh, missiles to Venezuela or some other other place, I mean I, I think generally it's off the table because Russia is not the Soviet Union and. Uh, uh, basically, I mean, despite the fact that Russia is not a democracy, uh, still uh, the Kremlin relies on certain like public attitudes, opinion polls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And generally speaking, I mean, Russians they are uh, they are fed up with this uh, like uh, sanction regime and whatnot, and uh, nobody wants. Uh, right. So we're, we're going to talk about the sanction. Right. We're going to talk about the sanctions in the second part of the program. I just want to close this uh, segment here by uh, by asking whether there is any anticipation uh, what are the next steps going to be on the part of Russia? Because obviously, whatever was put on the table uh, two weeks ago during those talks in Geneva, uh, that was something that it was it was obvious that NATO is going to reject that because NATO would lose its face uh, and 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 you know, the remnants of credibility that it has, had it agreed to remove whatever installations or military bases or whatever uh, on, you know, upon a request from Russia, right? So uh, it, it was obvious that things aren't going to work out, uh, well, the way it was designed according to the documents and treaties and so on and so forth. So I'm wondering, uh, is it a long uh, play? Is it a long game of of chess, uh, the Russian national sport, I guess? Uh, the uh, that that is in play is is being played out here, or uh, is it just a one-off thing, and we'll see how things go? What, what's your take? Well, I, I think uh, grand narratives and grand strategies are uh, something political scientists or conspiracy theorists talk about. But uh, those oh, who, you're a political scientist, aren't you? Yeah, but but those those but I don't do not work uh, in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. But I know people who work, and they are not let's say uh, mildly, they're not big fans of grand strategies. Mm-hmm, they live mm-hmm. uh, day, uh, day, day-to-day life, you know, so they just, they just react. They do not like live this long, uh, they, 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 they just like react uh, day, day after day. But what, what I'm thinking uh, in, this, in this respect, uh, I, I, I think that, uh, well, generally, generally speaking, uh, uh, I think Russia has uh, showed enough uh, enough nerves and enough muscle on this uh, on the Ukrainian border recently, and also will have a joint military drills with Belarus on Ukrainian border on on northern Ukrainian border. Just I mean next week, I guess. So I mean it's it's one of the 
it's one of the tools to irritate uh, the global West or uh, NATO so as to, to show that our, uh, well, our resilience to, uh, to push towards like uh, accepting at least some of our uh, proposals is, is real. But generally speaking, I mean, you know, uh, uh, if, you, if you watch the uh, recent uh, press conference by President Biden, Mm, a terrible one. about Russia and uh, what surprised me is that he spoke about Russia very mildly. Yeah, and he also mentioned that it's going to be small incursion, not great invasion, some kind of itsy bitsy invasion. I thought it was yeah, very it, funny. Really. What, what, what I liked about this uh, press conference is that, you know, uh, you can uh, reject something uh, in, in in speech, but it's at, at the same time accept uh, this very thing in action. Because when speaking about uh, Ukraine's uh, NATO perspectives, he said that it, it's off the table not because we will reject it anyway, but because at this point is not ready to join. Mm -hmm. In this case, I mean, he agreed uh, de, de facto, he agreed to not to extend uh, uh, NATO and not to, to include uh, uh, Ukraine and NATO. So in this case, I mean, Russia sort of won. I mean, mm. it, it, it doesn't mean that, uh, I mean, it, it was on the table before uh, before the, the Russian ultimatum or whatnot. Also, he, he said that uh, we can discuss uh, these uh, missile, uh, missile defense systems and their, uh, like, uh, details about their deployment. Uh, of course, it's it, it's up to debate. And for Russia, I think it's uh, it, it, it's the central part actually, because uh, what Russia is afraid is not. Uh, I mean, with all due respect, is not uh, Bulgaria or Romania. Uh, what what Russia is afraid of is American missile systems. Okay, right. and uh, whether they will be deployed like closer to to Russian borders. And by the way. I mean, uh, uh, Romania and Bulgaria are uh, are mentioned in some of Russia's, uh, let's say, uh, uh, official official speeches related to these uh, uh, like security guarantees. Are you ready to demilitarize, guys? <laughs> oh, when well, you ask me, I have no problem anyway. He has no problem because he he lives in Poland. Well, my problem. No, I have more of a problem. Multiple problems with that. Let me explain the first one. Well, I find it outrageous, guys. Even our conversation. Do you realize what we're talking about here? I mean, I sit here and listen quietly to what you are saying, but I feel outraged that in the middle of a deadly pandemic, that should have been enough of a reason for us to join forces to live to to fight against it. We discuss war. We discuss war in one of the one of humanity's uh, what I say most dangerous uh, times in terms of this deadly virus that is it is a threat. Romania was like uh, you know colored in black for month in a row last year because we had such a high death row due to the pandemic. It was an incredible situation. And now, suddenly, even though we, the doctors are still afraid that the fifth wave is going to hit, we are discussing what? Who's going to win? What President Biden said? What the Russians said? And I don't really care who's right or wrong, the second problem. I might think that the Russians might be right in this respect because uh, the West should have handled the whole situation internationally, and I'm referring here strictly to the United States, uh, differently. 
in a whole different manner. And I think if they don't like President Putin, they should take a long look at themselves because they created that. I mean, he did not appear just like that, out of thin air. The mistakes in international politics and diplomacy and economy and all the rest led to the Vladimir Putin that we have today. And they should take some responsibility for that. And the third thing I have with uh, demilitarization, I would like nothing uh, more than seeing the U.S. troops go from Romania. But the problem is, at what cost? I was thinking, what is the price for that? Are we so naive to think that they are going to go and suddenly Romania is going to become a sovereign nation, prosperous, and uh, you know that the Russians are going to uh, promote uh, democracy and the power to the people and all the rest? Are we that naive? Aren't we in the situation where what we are being asked is to change what abusive partner with another? I mean, for a small country like Romania, uh, I think this is the question. And for us, the situation is um, quite depressing since uh, our options are so limited. Of course, we have the army and the military elites claiming that they would reach into Kremlin and invade Russia in two days. I mean, but these are delusional people that uh, I really don't think we should, uh, we should uh, consider what they say as serious conversations. So uh, the question that I would like you to push back maybe to what I said here, but my question was, why now? Why in the middle of a deadly pandemic are we discussing this? Because I think Russia was not very happy with what NATO did for years now. So why now? Why now? It's a mystery for me, to, to be frank, uh, and uh, certain journalists asked our foreign minister Lavrov, why now? And he said, well, we, we've just had enough. And so it was like the final, I don't know, the, the final uh, the final phase of our irritation with NATO. I don't buy it, but nobody really says, in, in, including like respected analysts, why now? Because nothing happens uh, last autumn between Russia and the United States or Russia and NATO to get Russia that irritated and that uh, active in promoting this uh, or uh, claiming to uh, this uh, sphere of influence or security guarantees from NATO. So uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, perhaps, I mean, what, uh, here I'm speculating a bit. I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a combination of several factors. And one of the factors is that perhaps uh, the Kremlin got certain like uh, pieces of uh, intelligence from, from 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 Ukraine that Kiev was uh, preparing to launch a military operation against the breakaway republics. But the, the problem, among other problems, is that I, I believe about 30% or more of those who still live in these areas uh, earned Russian citizenship, Russian passports. So, and if this invasion uh, or this uh, counter-terrorist operation or whatnot uh, began, Russia would be compelled to protect its citizens, like it was compelled to protect its citizens in 2008 in South Ossetia and Abkhazia, right, uh, against Georgia. 
and but Russia doesn't want to uh, to get more more sanctions and more like uh, condemnation worldwide. And uh, also, once again, the idea of launching a war, even a small war, is quite unpopular in Russia. I mean, uh, the uh, reunification with or, or annexation of I don't care of Crimea was applauded by by the majority of Russian uh, people just because it was bloodless. It was bloodless, and and it was yeah, an no. annexation of a territory uh, where we were uh, absolutely sure that the majority of those people they wanted to uh, to to join Russia because they 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 were Russian, they they spoke Russian, they lived inside the Russian sphere of uh, culture, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, the Donbas crisis, the Donbas, let's say hybrid war with the pro-Russian proxies, etc. I mean, it's not as popular as as the uh, the Crimean referendum and the Crimean takeover. And uh, nowadays, I mean, people just they we, we just don't don't want it. So uh, I, I think one of the reasons for these uh, like uh, uh, for these uh, uh, talks about uh, uh, security guarantees is that Russia doesn't want to to invade in earnest, but wants to protect it, its. Uh, it's 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 nationals there in these breakaway republics. So I mean it's, I mean I I believe it it has to do with this. But I I'm 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 not an insider or it's just my interpretation of, of the fact. But I would like to ask you: Don't you think this whole diplomatic talk and this whole ideas that the Russians put uh, Russia put forward, including the fact that NATO is supposed to withdraw? from Romania and Bulgaria, just some sort of, how should I say, cloaking, an attempt to cloak its real intentions, and that is to say for the internal public, look, dear Russian citizens, we tried, but NATO wouldn't listen, so we are compelled right now to, to uh, uh, protect our citizens uh, in Ukraine and engage in some sort of military conflict. Well, I'm not so sure that Vladimir Putin and his close circle, they really want this, uh, this to happen. So it's not just to, to buy something to the general public. It's, I think, the, the lack of, of desire to, to, to invade. And, and once again, I mean, this uh, deployment of uh, uh, massive Russian military forces on Ukraine's border for several months, uh, it was, I mean, it was, it was a show of force. I mean, it was not uh, uh, done covertly, right? So it was it was intended to be seen, and to be to be feared, and to be and to be discussed worldwide. If and I could just weigh in here, because to me it's a repetition of the April uh, last year scenario, in a sense that you know Russia was being provoked to a certain extent by the moves on the behalf of the uh, of the authorities in Kiev that they would they were indicating that they could actually invade those breakaway republics, like under the pretext of an anti-terrorist operation or whatever you want to refer to it. Uh, but but uh, Ru Russia was doing pretty much the same; like it was. Uh, accumulating or, or gathering forces on the border in order to deter Ukraine somehow from doing this. And and perhaps now it's even not, I mean, I don't know to what extent Ukraine would like to have any sort of conflict or, or, or what, what would the purpose of that be? Because I'm pretty sure that Ukraine knows that, you know, in, in a situation of war, it would probably, you know, lose within three, four days and then the country would be uh, in, in real trouble. Like it could be the 
pretty much the end of the of the Ukrainian statehood. But anyway, I don't want to speculate on that. I'm just wondering whether now, provided that Ukrainian politicians are even saying that this hysteria about Russia invading Ukraine is not really uh, uh, is not really doing any good to any kind of processes that are that Ukraine is involved, that. You know, perhaps it's the Americans, or I don't know, the West, the collective West, as the Russians like to say, trying to instigate some kind of provocation, false flag. I don't know something to provoke uh, uh, Russia, uh, uh, Russian reaction, and then, of course, to go ahead with all the sanctions, Nord Stream two, and stuff like that, which uh, I want to talk about in the second half of the program, well, but just briefly. I, well, I think uh, we should not. Uh... Uh, underestimate the internal Ukrainian political dynamics because uh, I mean we have President Zelensky who came to power as a president of peace, but the internal uh, uh, the the internal situation there is that he made him more hawkish than he was in 2019. Moreover, his main opponent, the former president uh, Poroshenko, now is considered to be. Uh, the leader of the party of war, and he harshly criticizes the the current president for being too weak on, on this republic and too weak on Russia. And uh, I, mean, I mean, this this uh, the, uh, this situation, I mean, makes uh, Zelensky, uh, I mean, uh, be or, or at least uh, sound more more hawkish when he uh, than he perhaps wanted to be, because he's he's is in a situation of a political of a never-ending political debate inside Ukraine. So I'm not sure that any, anybody from, from Washington can call Zelensky or anyone else and to demand uh, make some provocation against, against the, the rebels in the, in the East. I'm, I'm not so sure it works the, this way. Uh, uh, generally, it's, it's just, just, just do not uh, underestimate Ukrainian internal uh, political dynamics. Yes, I would say so, because Zelensky is an impossible situation. If he wants peace with Russia, then he has his crazy right-wingers on his throat saying, oh, you are to be a traitor and so on and so forth. So he's probably afraid of losing uh, the power due to the internal right-wing extremists that are dominating the political uh, arena in uh, despite what the western is saying that that is a democratic country and there are no right wing forces there and so on and so forth and uh, if he doesn't he's also in an impossible situation because as Boyan said Nord Stream 2 is bypassing and it's uh, not going through uh, Ukraine anymore and uh, there are um, also the breakaway republic so the situation for him is kind of impossible and uh, since he has no experience in uh, real politics, being a media personality, this also works to this, his des disadvantage. Now, for the last, uh, last question here, um, you see, we are in this situation, uh, and I invite you both to think about it. We progressed so much technologically since the end of World War II, isn't it? I mean, uh, in terms of the technology, we progressed so much, and yet the press and the political elites are still discussing in the same terms who are the dominant states, uh, what are the states that had to be dominated, uh, how are we sharing 
you know, the spheres of influence, nothing changed in terms of the general mentality in international politics. So my question is, um, did the intellectual landscape in Russia change? Do you have elites that are fighting for peace, that oppose this these ideas of with different vision? Do they oppose this uh, militaristic and um, how should I say hawkish perspective in international relations? Do you have something like that? Yes, uh, we have certain public intellectuals who are strongly against war and who just uh, advise the same stuff you just said. So we're living in the 21st century. We have a lot of problems like climate change, uh, pandemic, etc., etc. Why should we stick to the outdated uh, uh, worldviews and all these spheres of influence, etc., etc.? I guess that the, the most the, the most popular Russian political. Uh, scientists uh, slash uh, public intellectual is a female, by the way. Her name is Yekaterina Shulman, Catherine Shulman. She, she's, a, uh, she's a doctor of political scientists and she, she's, a, uh, she's a frequent guest at, at many of uh, Russian political talk shows and uh, like uh, radio shows, etc., etc. So she is strongly advised against all this like militarization and uh, she's quite popular. Right. Uh, generally, I, I agree with you that uh, these, like our, uh, the way we perceive the world and international relations is somewhat, uh, let's say, prone to inertia. Uh, yes. Nowadays, the situation is different from 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 the from the twentieth century. Of course, people are people, but still, I mean, given the fact that uh, nowadays, unlike like a hundred years ago, we think that war is something to be uh, avoided at any cost that's changed unlike i mean there were a lot of celebrations at the beginning of the first world war i mean in all the in all the capitals and all the countries because everybody believes that uh they were on the right side of the of the battle they were like uh, uh fighting for for uh for uh, for the right cause and at the same time everybody uh, believed that the war will end in a couple of months right so nowadays the situation is different, right? And in, in this case, I mean both both uh, Russians and uh, and Americans and Ukrainians understand it. So uh, yes, yeah, I, but there I, are there are elements there are elements in international politics that have a major incentive for war. And I'm not talking only about the American military industrial complex. There are other centers, of course. So this I think also plays a role in a sense that there are powerful centers that are actually interested in having a constant conflict. Of an ongoing constant conflict. Do you agree with that? Well, uh, I mean, uh, if we extend uh, the term war, uh, the, the idea of war is uh, to, as to like, uh, if, if we if we if we use the the word war in the most uh, uh, wide uh, uh, meaning, uh, including like situations wherein there are no casualties, but you just cannot uh, cannot deploy your troops because uh, your uh, your uh, command and control uh, areas, they are, let's say, their electricity is turned off, for example, mm -hmm. right? Can you can you call it a war where nobody dies? I mean, if it's a war, it's a, I can applaud this war, actually. I mean, in this case, I mean, we live in a more humane world where, I mean, and even the sanctions regime, okay, we use, in Russia at least, we use the term sanctions war, but I mean, it's laughable. For a person who knows something about the Second World War, uh, I mean, if in your war 
nobody dies. It's a great war. Let's <laughs> let's make this worse. All right. Okay. So this is it for the first part of the show. Thank you so much for being here with us, Stanislav. We did the unthinkable. We actually discussed Russia with the Russian. Hey, <laughs> I think this is a wonderful idea. <laughs> and I think a lot of media outlets should do that more often because uh, this is also a way to fight the war and this constant polarization that the media uh, is selling us this constant um, hatred and this constant paranoia. So uh, Russia is a big country, dear viewers. Uh, you might find somebody to, to talk to that could offer you a very balanced and nuanced perspective. And this is a way or at to... Least a different one, even if it's or unhinged. at least a different one, even if you don't agree with it. Dialogue and discussions are good actually thank you so much for watching and we'll see you all in a short while for our next segment that's right and don't forget to subscribe and click all the buttons that you feel is necessary to click and don't forget to go to our patreon page patreon.com slash the barricade to help us out financially thanks a lot see you in a while <laughs>